Good evening, everybody. This is Rich Duncan, and tonight I'm joined by Shane Douglas Keene, and we're going to be speaking with John F.D. Taff about The Fearing Part 4, Earth and Amber. And uh, we're going to go over kind of the series as a whole and a couple other fun things. And so, John, how are you doing tonight? I am doing great, guys. I, You know, it seems like we, we talk a lot, which is cool. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't can't know. Maybe either. it's not cool for you guys. Maybe you're sick to death of me. <laughs> Actually, just no. right, right before we called you, I just got done telling Rich, well, now we're going to have to find some fucking excuses to get this back <laughs> on. <laughs> I am game, man. Yeah, like maybe some kind of spinoff show. <laughs> That'd be fun. Yeah, we'll do something like that or do a guest host slot and... And you'll have other publications that come out we'll obviously want to talk about. Oh, so. yeah. Oh, yeah. So consider that a plan. <laughs> I will pencil you guys in. Sounds good. So to kind of kick things off, um, before we dive too much into the story, I know that the sure. writing process of the fearing, you know, it was years and years in the making, and now mm-hmm. it's... It's all finally out there in the mm-hmm. in the public. And I was just wondering, you know, how has it been for you now that, you know, all of the installments are finally out there? You know, it's weird. Um, since the book was released uh, in a serial format, uh, you know, normally you have your, you know, the book comes out. It's, you know, hangs out there for, you know, hopefully a month or two. And you get a lot of, uh, you know, you get a lot of feedback from people you got a lot of reviews and stuff shows up on amazon and then you know uh it starts to die down a little well uh, you know one of the nice things about uh, the serial format that that tony came up with this for this book is that you know it's created this you know sort of half a year uh window for this thing to you know grow some legs and attract new readers and uh, so that's been cool so it's been it's been weird, though, you know, because normally you talk about your book for a couple of months and then you move on to something else. It seems like I've been stuck talking about the fearing for a while. Not that that's a bad thing, but. Yeah. No, because it is kind of a domino effect that I've seen, too, on, you know, because I blab a lot about books on <laughs> social media. And I every time we do this, I see somebody new to me as far as this subject goes saying oh i just started reading this yesterday or you know what i mean so people are still it's got some legs still well it's uh i think the serial thing was a a brilliant thing for for tony to have thought of uh because really i mean we just talked a couple weeks ago and he said that uh, volume one book one is still selling really really well so that's you know that's good for me to hear because that means that you yeah. know hopefully the people will buy two three and four down the line so uh yeah it's that that part of it's been really cool you know yeah. I, there has been a little bit of blowback from some people saying that they would have preferred to have a big book but and i i totally get that but yeah i, I think that's more of like a personal preference thing because yeah, nor- yeah. normally i'm one of those people but like I've mentioned on some of the past episodes that we've done that, you know, it was kind of cool to have it be this way, even though I like the bigger books, because it reminded me of like reading experiences I had 
yes. you know, when yeah. I was younger and growing up that you don't get too much of. So it was kind of cool to be able to revisit that. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that uh, more people haven't done this. I mean, uh, yeah, obviously you have to have a, a, a property that lends itself to being split up like this. But, you know, it's a it's a I think it's been a really uh, fun thing to go through with Tony. And I think Tony, you know, as he does with with all the books that he publishes, really put some thought behind it and thought about that, you know, the sequences of covers that fit together into one. And, you know, I think he's just, you know, Tony always thinks a lot about uh, a piece and uh, the best way to put it out, the best cover to put on it, you know, how to do it and everything. So, you know, this was all, this is all him. This is all his idea to do this. And, and luckily the fearing lent itself to, to being split up into these little chunks. And luckily people didn't lose their minds too much about, <laughs> you know, <laughs> having to wait from chunk to chunk. So, uh, yeah, I would recommend it. I think if other people, other authors out there have had a, a you know, if they've got a, a book that, that would lend itself well to, to being split up like this and serialized, I think it makes a really cool experience for the, for the reader. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that you uh, say that, because I was going to ask, you know, if that was something you'd like to do again, because, mm-hmm. you know, I... I know that you put a lot of work into this and we're like reshuffling stuff. So yeah. it's good to hear that, you know, it worked out positive, but I wasn't sure if it was like one of those things where it was like, oh man, like this was, you know, like a kind of a bear to put together. Well, I, you know, from my perspective, it was, it was, a uh, you know, it went really well and it wasn't that big of a deal. I'm sure if you asked that same question to Tony, he would, I mean, Tony was pulling his hair out because really this was like putting out four books over the course of, you know, five months. So, you know, where I, you know, I dumped the manuscript on him and then we walked through all the edits that we normally do. And that took a while. But then when, you know, when it came down to splitting the book up, I had a little bit of work in rearranging chapters and, and doing that kind of stuff. But you know, Tony's the one who has to do all the legwork of, you know, formatting everything and getting the covers ready and, and, you know, getting them all formatted. You know, each one of these has to be formatted for paperback and digital. And, you know, so I know from talking to him that it was a, a lot more rigmarole than it was on my part. So <laughs> easy for me to sit back and say, yeah, it was easy. I'd, I'd be willing to do this again. Yeah. And Tony's kind of, I mean, he stresses production really hard. He's meticulous oh, about that absolutely, shit. yeah. This um, is where he really spends a lot of time thinking about the work um, in a way that, that, you know, even somebody like me, the author, doesn't doesn't think about, you know, in, in as much detail as he does. Yeah, and I, but I think um, I'd, he'd have to confirm, but uh, I think in the long run, that type of attention to detail will pay off. Oh, yeah, I, I agree totally. I think it's, you know, that is a, a hallmark for uh, dealing with Tony as a publisher is his attention to detail. Um, you know, there's so much, uh, so many times the small press in, in this industry gets criticized for lack of attention to detail. And, and that is certainly true to some extent, but I think that there are a lot of publishers out there like Tony 
who, you know, spent a lot of a uh, lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of blood, sweat and tears and money dotting those eyes and crossing those T's. And, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons that I stick with Tony. Uh, he does. I say this all the time. He does a great job. Makes me look better than I deserve. Yeah, he's I would, you know, go so far as to compare when it comes to publishers, publishers like Gray Matter Press come as close in attention to detail as Mm -hmm. Big Fives do. Yeah, I mean, obviously the Big Five has they have more manpower uh, than Tony does and obviously a lot more dollars to sling at something. But, you know, Tony takes this very seriously and, and he realizes that all he has to do as a publisher is put out one, you know, hinky book and that upsets the whole apple cart. And it does. It, it leaves a lasting impression that a really good book unfortunately doesn't. Right. Leave. You know, people remember their bad experiences better than they remember their good experiences. So Right. Yeah. And he what makes it so remarkable and impressive is he like you say, he's pretty much when it comes to most of the stuff you mentioned um, a one-man show as far as getting yeah. all that stuff Yeah, I mean, he's got uh, Sharon Lawson in there helping with the editing, um, and she does a terrific job, but, you know, most of the, you know, the other stuff, the, you know, most of, a lot of the editing and most of the production stuff, all the production stuff really goes through Tony. So, um, he's a swell guy. He's probably, <laughs> if he, when, he re, when he listens to this, he'll be rolling his eyes. <laughs> oh, you know, the reason I talk about him so much is because I know he fucking hates it. Oh, right. Exactly. That's, the, <laughs> that's why I do it, too. We're, we're cut from the same contrary cloth, shit. <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh, you know what will tick Tony off is if I really talk about him. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's get personal. <laughs> <laughs> now, nah, he's a good guy. He's yeah. uh, he is as much uh, to. uh I'm going to say blame. <laughs> he's as much to credit for the success of this book as I am. So uh, he's a fellow insomniac with me. Yes. Uh, he's yeah. uh, there have been so many nights when Tony's the last person in the world to talk to for me mm-hmm. be- because I'm an all nighter most of the time. And uh, Tony most of the time is as well. Yeah. He, um, he used to, we used to talk all the time uh, in the middle of the night when I'd stayed up till two and three in the morning. But ever since I broke my leg, you know, I'm kind of, I kind of have to go to bed when my wife does. Um, and you know, a lot of times I'll, I'll wake up and I'll have a, you know, a bunch of texts from him. Where, what are you doing? You can't be sleeping. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm sorry. I'm going to bed at eight thirty nine o'clock now because that's when Deb does. So. Yeah, he's he's a machine that way. Um, I were I worked on a project um, that you know about with him one time, and um, yep. we basically I basically we basically got it written, um, hashed out, and edited all overnight. Oh, jeez! <laughs> <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Tony said, yeah, but I'm going to need it in a couple of days. So I passed it off to him like three hours later, and then he passed <laughs> it back to me and said, change this, and I passed it back. And it was pretty interesting, but at the same time, it hit, it hit a point where I'm going, are you fucking with me now? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm going to need to start drinking soon, Tony. we got to wrap this up. <laughs> I'm going through the... Uh... 
he has my next novel, and uh, I'm going through the uh, his notes right now. So um, I'm supposed to have the next draft to him probably right at the first of the year. So it's always cool to go through uh, the notes with him because he's a he's a damn good editor, um, and he catches things and and makes you think about things. Um, in a way that that not a lot of editors that I work with in the industry have made me just a few. Um, now he's a teacher that way. Yeah, he is, and he really makes you look at what you. I mean, even sometimes when I don't agree with what he's saying, it makes me think about. He makes me think about things, which I think is, I think the role of an editor, a literary editor, is is basically that. It's to make you think about the stuff that you put on the page. Yeah, and and he did that like like uh, uh, and I'll shut up about this and let you talk, Rich. But um, with the project I worked on, uh, he ne- he never once said, "Well, maybe you should say it like this, or right. maybe change this to this." He he said, "Well, but what do you think about?" Mm-hmm. And or I think you know if you if you worked on this in this direction, you know. But and so like you say, yeah, he just gets you thinking. Yeah. And it makes you better. Right. And, you know, and I've told him before, even if I don't agree with what he's saying, the fact that he's made me think about it is is a big deal. So, yeah, Yeah. I think that's cool. I do, too. Yeah, he's he's a great he's a great editor. And, you know, that's one of the things that makes their book so great. But um, like going back to the attention to detail type thing mm-hmm. i don't think we've talked about this before but now that all of the installments are out i was just kind of curious you know if he had when he kind of approached you about it but like the idea to have all of the covers form like a mural which in my opinion is i don't i can't think of another book you know that right. has done something like that and i thought that was incredible no, it, it actually he surprised me with it. He had shown me uh, one or two uh, ideas for the cover of, uh, and this is, goes back to when we were thinking of one book. Um, and I was kind of like, yeah, okay, that would work, or yeah, that that would work. And then we started to talk really more seriously about uh, serializing, about splitting it up into four, three or four. Um, and I was like, well, let me take a look at it and see what I, you know, see if it lends itself to that. And, uh, you know, I went into the book and started pulling things apart and thinking, OK, well, if I move this over here and move these chapters here and move those chapters there. And, yeah, I think we could probably split it into four books. Um, and then I didn't hear from him for a while because he was I think he was looking at what I'd done. And uh, he had a couple suggestions to make about you know, where certain things needed to be. And, and, uh, then out of the blue, he just showed me this illustration. He was like, what do you think? And he'd already split it up into four. And I'm like, Oh, Oh yeah. So I had a couple of notes to give him on it. Um, and, uh, you know, he, the, the artist is Wendy, uh, Wendy Sabercore art, um, who also did the, fucking awesome illustration for little black spots. Yeah. Um, and he's a, he's a great artist and he does a lot of stuff in the horror field. 
And he's really good uh, at, you know, Tony finds it really easy to work with him. He's good at taking notes and everything. Um, so we just had a couple of little little things, color changes and that kind of stuff. And, and that was pretty much it. And I, you know, I was shocked. You know, I showed Deb everything like that to see what her take on it, it was. And she was like, wow, that's that's cool. So, yeah, I knew right when he showed it to me that that was it. Yeah, it, like I said, I don't think I've ever seen anything else quite like it. And it just kind of adds to the whole overall, you know, process of the fearing, you know, the serial right. format and that. And it, I thought it was really cool. And like you said, it it's kind of helped keep it out there. Like, I, I mm-hmm. think every day I when I log on Twitter and I start scrolling through, like, I always see something, whether it's like a review or... Right you know, a recommendation. And I think a lot of that stuff plays a big part in it. Well, I think that, you know, a a good book is, you know, yeah, you've got to write a good book, but it's got to be, there's so many other things that go into making a book uh, appealing to a reader, a great cover. It's laid out so that it's easy to read. Um, You know, it's edited well, Uh, you know, all that stuff that, you know, a lot of people don't think about, but you got to have that stuff. And, uh, like I said, this circles back. Tony thinks about all that. Um, and I think his, you know, his, the way he thinks has been spot on. So, uh, but yeah, but it's, it's a great illustration. You know, the, the thing I've, I always liked about it was that it keeps that big reveal until cover four, yeah. Yeah, until uh, you can put the pieces together. Yeah. And you you know, cover four obviously is Monday. Um but it saves that big reveal and, and until you get to the book that has the other big reveals in it. So uh uh that always worked for me. I always thought that that was a cool you know, not only was it cool that it split up into four, you know, pretty neat covers, but the fact that it saved that last reveal for the big reveals in the fourth book, that was kind of masterful. Yeah. Cause, uh, Tony actually was like teasing us with that. He didn't <laughs> say like why, but he's like, Oh, you know, wait until, you know, you guys get more and more of these books. Right. And, you know, you see something special with the cover. So like each, each book, like I'm sitting there like staring at it up close, <laughs> like trying to like see if there's like a hidden message in there or like a little detail. And I'm like, I'm like, what what could he possibly mean? And then, like you said, when the fourth one comes yeah. out, it all makes sense. Well, he uh, he always tells me that I revealed too much about stuff. So um, <laughs> he was uh, adamant that I not say anything. Don't, don't even hint that these books all fit together. I don't want that floating out there until the last book comes. He said, I really want to see people arrive at that naturally. Like, oh, oh, my God, look what happens when I put all these four covers together. So I, I tried. I tried really hard. I think I might have slipped once or twice, but no one seemed to pick up too much on it. He did. Uh, yeah. He, well, I he did. To be fair, like I said, he kind of slipped up on his own because he <laughs> kind of teased us with it earlier. See, Tony? It wasn't just me. <laughs> but, uh, too, the one thing that 
you know, is kind of cool about each installment is, you know, it kind of picks up naturally. Like sometimes it's immediately after, but it always flowed mm-hmm. nicely. And the one thing that I was kind of excited about and that, and we kind of touched on them a little bit last episode, but not as much. Cause a lot of the stuff happens in, in this book mm-hmm. is we kind of open up with, uh, Jacoby who, right. Oh man, that guy, it's like when you first meet him, you know, he's bad news because of, <laughs> you know, when he kills that, he kills the one guy yeah. in the camp to make an example. And it's almost like every time you think this guy can't be more of an asshole, like he just gets worse and worse. You know, it's funny that, you know, people who've read it now, they're like, oh, I know who that, that character's. You know, I know where you got that character from. He's, you know, he's the Donald Trump of the story. And I'm like, yeah, you know, but that's not the way that's not the way that happened. That's not I didn't uh, I didn't set out to write a character like that. I think when I got to that part in the book where everybody is all gathered together, you know, I got to thinking what what happens inevitably in a situation like that is somebody muscles forward to take over. Um and it's usually a type of person that does that. And um, and I wanted to magnify that type of person, uh, you know, as as big as I could. So, you know, there was no forethought of, you know, no political statement that I was trying to make about Trump or whatever. Yeah, but it's kind of funny that you say that because, you know, like it wasn't intentional, but <clears throat> excuse me, um, like a lot of times like a lot of people have said that, like even myself, I'll be honest. I, mm-hmm. I, had, the, I had the same thought, not that I thought that you did it intentionally, but yeah. I was like, man, this, a lot of the things that this guy does, you know, sounds very, very familiar. Well, not, and not, <laughs> you know, not trying to make a political point, but I think that those people all speak from the same script. Um, so it's not, it wasn't some, wildly creative thing I did by creating Tim Jacoby. It's just that those people are all kind of from the same mold. Um, they speak the same language. They kind of say the same things. They kind of act the same way. Um, so it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a huge stretch, I think, uh, for that kind of a character to show up in the story. Plus, you know, again, I wanted there, I was covering so many different kinds of, fears in in the four books that i wanted to make sure that we don't overlook the you know again the human monsters that are sure to crop up and it Uh, was yeah that was what i found was interesting is that very first sentence right below the chapter number um mm -hmm. 31 that really really puts a focus on him that does highlight that what was the what was it what what did i say (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, the chat in the chapter heading just another fear uh-huh yeah yeah that, okay that that fascinated me um because i hadn't i hadn't thought about it but i kept going in the early books well there's got to be somebody that's gonna pop up and turn out to be a total douche and fuck everything up for everybody else right and yeah. you got him yeah yeah but i also wanted to make sure that that he does not become the focus because it's just a, he is just a symptom. He's not a he's not the overriding 
thing that's happening in these books. He's just a symptom. So I felt like he had to crop up and he had to be dealt with in one way or the other. Um, and then they had to move on to the bigger, you know, the bigger thing that was driving the story. Yeah. And it's like, um, like you said, just another fear, um, probably one of the biggest fears, mm-hmm. in my opinion, other than the dark itself. Right. Um, but uh, that that was good, good method of doing that, keeping that focus. So the story didn't focus on him, but as a as a character study. Right. You know, um, Sorry, that ma- didn't make any sense at all to me, so I doubt it would make <laughs> fucking sense to you. I don't know. I'm drinking. It made perfect sense to me. <laughs> Same here. I was, just, I was just nodding along. I'm like, yeah. Because right? I don't know if it's wow, that. Wow, how fucking air you dead? <laughs> I don't know if it was just that or the fact that, like, I know Shane so well. <laughs> I was just like, it made perfect sense. <laughs> no, I think that, you know, uh, he was, he's just another fear in, in this, you know, in this slowly constricting uh, what's left of the world and what's left of the fears to be dispensed with. He was just uh, just another fear that had to be dealt with. Yeah, and kind of going off of like Shane's thing, like not only was he just another fear, but I thought he was kind of an interesting character to have because he kind of serves as like a you know kind of like a figurehead with of like how people deal with their fears like he got all of these followers because they were so scared and you know he projected this confidence and they wanted somebody like that and then you know that's how they all kind of got swept up in his that's why he was such a necessary part to the story because i think when things like this happen well not things like this because hopefully this will never happen but when you have um bad times um there's always somebody in the wilderness who stands up and says you know don't be afraid i know exactly what to do and it's always the wrong person and it's always the wrong thing to do oh yeah someone who's always motivated by motivated by something less than wholesome usually. right exactly so i wanted that to play out um <laughs> In the story, but but I also think that what he does, at least for me in the story, he's a great foil uh, against Mark and Monday. So those three, uh, for a good portion of of book four, are kind of dancing around each other, and it really allows me as the author to kind of uh, steer the reader in the direction I'm going through the conversations that those three characters have. Just that's interesting. Like we were just talking to Damien Angelica Walters. Yeah, I, I watched. I listened to that. It was great. And she was talking about character arcs and mm-hmm. using the character arc to tell the story. And right. that's kind of kind of what you do with Monday and Michael <clears throat> and um, J- Jacoby. Right. And un- until you do, until that's not necessary, and you change that dynamic and. Uh, to a different focus that makes it seem like child's play. Yeah, well. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take that. But Jacoby, he he also kind of serves as a catalyst for other fears as you go through. Sure, exactly. And and he, um, and I don't know how, I mean, I guess we can get spoilery. The book's out for a while, and 
yeah. if you if you haven't read it, you should go read it before you listen to this. But I, I think that, you know, in addition to and helping me uh, coagulate uh, what was going on with Monday and what was going on between Mark and Monday, you know, Jacoby also lets me um, move some other have do some other things with some of the other characters in the book. I mean, the uh, you know, I finally brought Carly back up to the front in a way that was, you know, fairly horrible. Um, killed some people because of him um, in, in what I'm hoping is a shocking and, and fairly effective way. People that, you know, somebody that you didn't think was probably going to get killed. Yeah, I was oh, cussing yeah. your ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and I think of all the characters, Sarah was hard to kill, but I really, really liked... Um, uh, oh God, now I've forgotten her name because I'm drinking. <laughs> Marsha. Uh, Marsha, right. But um, the, there's, I was going to say, the Easter egg is is that if you go back to the very first podcast we did on this subject, right. I, I talked about how fucking much I love that character. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I really loved her. And uh, the, the senior, the bus tour people were the people that I, you know, other than, than Adam and Jelnick, the first group that I wrote was the senior bus tour people. And so uh, throughout the writing of this thing, the, the characters that I was spent the most time with were the senior bus tour people. So it was, it was difficult to kill Marsha. Um, Cause I really liked her a lot, but uh, I thought that uh, too many bad people in stories, the bad stuff happens off screen or off the page and you don't see it as the reader. And I really wanted to, I, you know, I really wanted people to see what a really horrible person this Tim Jacoby was. And yeah, and yeah. that's where they re- really, really ramped it up for multiple reasons. That yeah. I won't spoil. Um, you're really yeah. good. You're really good at uh, serving up uh, street justice in some situations. <laughs> <too>. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to comment on that so bad because, like, I love the fact, like you said, like a lot of the people on that bus tour, mm-hmm. you know, they were a little bit older and you don't right. really see them as the major exactly. characters. Exactly. But when she got shot and then you think that, you know, Glenn's just going to kind of take it or whatever. Right. And then he just pulls out like some straight like samurai stuff and cuts his head off like yep. i i actually wrote in my notes i you know it's terrible to like say this but i think we all probably had that reaction <laughs> i was like man i loved when glenn cuts that asshole's head off well and i think you know it, it had to happen right then in the moment because i think if glenn had thought about it had stopped and thought about it he wouldn't have done it if there was any yeah. hesitation he wouldn't have done it so it was just a, a spur of the moment I can't believe you you've killed my wife, this person who I've had this relationship with, you know, for decade after decade. And I don't know what else to do but to kill you. So. Yeah. And there there is a couple scenes like afterwards and stuff that I think, you know, ties into a lot of the a lot of the types of styles in like your other works, the stories and the novels, mm-hmm. like when they were burying her and stuff. And, yeah. A lot of that was really emotional. I think, like, when I wrote notes, like, in my 
Kindle app, you know, I put like, like I got goosebumps from it because, you you know, yeah, it was just, it was so heavy, but it was so perfect. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, I know you guys for a long time and, and, you know, probably people that listen to this, uh, these podcasts, you know, know that we've known each other for a long time and you think that, they're probably thinking, yeah, these guys tell this kind of stuff to Taff all the time. And he probably <laughs> just goes, eh, whatever. But, you know, it really it, it really does mean something to me to hear people um, read this stuff that, you know, I'm sitting at a little desk here in the wilds of southern Illinois uh, and not knowing. I mean, I'm thinking uh, I think this will be pretty effective. I, I think this is doing what I want it to do. But, you know, you never really know until it goes out and people start reading it. But so it's, you know, that's the kind of stuff I want to hear that the emotional residences of the book are, are doing what you want them to do because otherwise you know <laughs> if the if the emotional core of the story doesn't resonate with you as a reader i in my mind the story's failed um but that's kind of your stock and trade too so i yeah, can yeah. see what i can see why that would be your philosophy right um and you uh, you're at the top of your game when it comes to breaking hearts. <laughs> well, <I'm pretty> <laughs> Lord knows I try. <laughs> you're a sadistic son of a bitch, Tab. Lord knows I try. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that, you know, it was really important to me in the fourth book that, you know, these people that you spent so much time with um, that sweated bullets for that it, when something does happen to them, that it does, it, it affects you. I mean, good grief. If, if you hadn't been affected when Marsha died, I wasn't doing my job uh, as an author to, you know, to uh, get you so sympathetic to that character to feel something when she dies. So, you know, so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. That, that, that makes me feel good. Yeah, there was there was a lot of a lot of scenes in there like that, and I'm kind of jumping around. But no, 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 you're fine. Go ahead. Uh, one of the one of the things that I really liked, and again, this is a major major spoiler for those <laughs> who haven't read this, is you know I kept thinking throughout reading throughout reading the fearing, you know how this was all going to wrap up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you do get plenty of, you know, craziness and, you know, monsters, creatures, the whole right. nine yards. But one thing that I thought was really great about this story and one thing that kind of sets it apart from other stories of this type was that it basically boils down to, you know, like fear is the overarching theme, but you get to the end and the last fear it was basically love and, mm-hmm. you know, Adam's love when he finally meets up with Monday. And I right. like that a lot of this resolution stemmed from that. And then, you know, when the darkness comes, it's everybody banding together, you know, like there right. was a lot of crazy stuff. But in the end, what ended up resolving everything was, you know, love and, you know, the connections people made right. with one another. And I thought that was a really interesting take, you know, rather than having it just be a straight up, you know, these people are going up against a monster and like, right. you know, 
fighting it and stuff like that. Well, I think that, um, and we've talked about this before. I think going into this book for me, um, certainly there were some uh, books by other authors who resonated with me. Um, the Stand, uh, Swan Song, that sort of stuff. Um, and and uh, not I, I love The Stand, but the one thing I will pick on the book is the ending for me didn't work. It was too much of a, a deus ex machina. It, it, it was too much of a the literal hand of God comes down at the end of the story and saves the day. Um, I didn't want that. In, in this book, I, I that doesn't speak to me on a personal level uh, as who I am. Um, I mean, you know, my belief is that uh, uh, if you're going if if humanity is going to save itself, we're going to do it. We're going to do it ourselves or we're not going to do it ourselves. One or the other. Um, and even though I had a reverend as uh, one of the main characters in the book, and I think you can arguably say that that Mark is one of the main, if not the main character in the book. Um, I, I, I almost did that as a sleight of hand because I wanted you to be thinking, you know where this is going with, you know, if Taff has a reverend in this story, I bet I know where it's going. Especially, um, yeah, and, and it, that's exactly what happened because you kept him all the way to the end game. Right. And so you, that's what you're doing. I'm sitting there going, okay, this is starting to feel very much like it's headed toward a stand-like finale. Exactly. But to me, the key to the whole book is when Mark is, uh, you know, when the darkness has fallen and Mark reaches into his pocket to find that crucifix that he used to uh, dispel the vampires in book three and realizes that he could probably pull this thing out of his pocket and, and you know, light it up. But that doesn't seem like the right thing to do to him. It doesn't seem like that's the answer to all this. And, you know, probably more strongly than in any other part of the book, that's me speaking. <laughs> um, that's the author speaking. Um, so it was really important to me that, that these people do come together at the end and they realize that if no one's going to save them here, this is a, this is a passionless kind of machine that is doing this and it doesn't care. It doesn't care about people. It doesn't care about your beliefs or disbeliefs. It doesn't care about anything. It, it's going to do what it's going to do in, unless you can figure out what to deal with it together. And um, that's why the ending of this thing was so important to me. And that's why I held my breath until book four was put out. And people could read it because uh, I was worried that it might be too much of a curveball for people, that there was expectations that were created in the early part of the book. Um, and then when people got to the end, they would be like, what the crap? That's not what I signed up for. I there was a, if you got I, I think you've read The Bell Witch. Yeah. And yeah. I did something similar with the Bell Witch when I when I and this is you know that book is twenty plus years old, but I wanted to tell the story. I wanted to you know tell a novelization of the story of the Bell Witch, but I wanted to take it in a different way. I didn't want to just make it a you know uh, oh there's somebody rattling chains in the attic and yanking the bedclothes off of the kids at night, you know that kind of a ghost story. I I, I really 
wanted to give it that that slant of almost like a a 19th century spiritualist novel that that is kind of a far different thing and you know that book you know some people really like it some people think that it's not scary enough and man i totally get that it it wasn't it i never set out to have it be that kind of a book but some people don't like that so i was kind of worried with book four that people would get to the end and go yeah this is this is not what i wanted this is not what i signed up for but uh, most of what I'm hearing is, is pretty positive. So I think would. Yeah, I think one of the things is the you inject a lot of believability into the story by making because in re, in reality, if we were facing apocalypse, the only way mm-hmm. the human race survives is doing just what you have them do. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, and, yeah, I mean, yeah, it seems the logical thing is that you have to come together to save all of yourselves right so and you know the bigger picture of facing your fears and and you know that's really the key to you know that's really the key to the book is is facing your fears um not letting them cripple you not letting them force you into bad decisions um it's you know stepping up facing them and and facing them down which is why it was so crucial for um mark that he not use that cross as a as a solution in that situation right. yeah I, I and i and not again not to belittle anybody's beliefs because i do have a great deal of respect for people who have religious beliefs i do not um but i i really looked at 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 what mark did with that cross as him realizing that that at that moment with everything that was going on that was a crutch. Um, and I wanted him to get past that. I thought it was important for him to get past that. Um, so, you know, that was my answer. I'm sure somebody else who, you know, would have written the book would have had a different answer. But, you know, write a different book. then. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. If that's not the book you wanted to read, right. write the one you right. wanted to read. But, <laughs> I, you know, I have been, I have been uh, very pleased that the reaction has been positive. So. That people felt like I, you know, I brought it, I pulled everything together and and brought it to, you know, it was important to me that the, the end of the story stay true to the book that I had written and not be some weird, you know, uh, you know, just something that 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 didn't flow out of the story that I'd already told in the other three books. So. Oh, awkward silence time. <laughs> I thought maybe they don't feel this way. Maybe they're going, oh, God. Are we fucking talking about this book again? <laughs> don't book Taft for another year. Uh, not at all. Do not feel that way at all. <laughs> but I was, I've been pretty pleased with uh, the reaction that I've uh, read so far from people. So. I, I I can breathe again. <laughs> um, oh, I think uh, Rich may be having technical difficulties uh, okay. talking to us because uh, he just messaged me and asked me if I can hear him. So, Uh-oh. but um, anyway, so let me spin back a little bit while sure. Rich tries to join back in the conversation. Um, 
talking about Carly. It's yeah. an interesting move you made there um, in, uh, it might have been 36, 35, I don't remember, um, mm-hmm. where at, even after sh- what she went through, she chose the side, uh, the, last, the last thing you would have expected her to do. Yeah, I think that um, Carly was an interesting character because... You know, I think that uh, some people have uh, there. There've been some reviews that I've read of the books where they, you know, they say that triad that I came up with uh, the high school students, the, you know, the jock, the sort of nerdy, unpopular girl, and the and the very popular, pretty girl is sort of a stereotypical thing. But you know, I think it's I think in that regards it's stereotypical because I think everybody's gone to high school and everybody's had experiences with those kinds of people you know there's always you know particular groups in high school the jocks the nerds the pretty popular people it just seemed to you know it just seemed to me to be the way to go and hopefully i did a good enough job with the characters to to give them some depth but carly I, i it was hard for me to come up with a redemption arc for her after what she kind of did at the end of book two, which is, you know, cause the death of Sarah, uh, directly or indirectly, she was kind of the one that, that led the cannibals to them. Um, and as I was, you know, as I was trying to play with character arcs for all the different characters and, and I finally got down to Carly, I'm thinking, I don't know. I don't know how to redeem her. I don't know what to do with her. And then I got to thinking, you know, some people, um, even though they've been through some bad stuff, they still, they're almost kind of hardwired to make bad decisions. Um, Even decisions that go against them. Yeah, and and she kind of chose a no-redemption path way, way back when she decided. And that's kind of what I thought when I was writing her, and I almost thought, I'm... With everybody else, I've kind of given them an out for stuff. But with Carly, I thought, I, I want to kind of play this out and see where she goes. And even after that, you know, the horrible stuff with Jacoby, I, I just thought, I think this person is really damaged, um, both by stuff that she's done and by what has been done to her, that she may be, at, you know, she may be one of those people that is unfortunately beyond beyond redemption and she she you know sadly made a poor choice after all that and uh you know ultimately had to pay the price so and and not everybody finds redemption in life or fiction exactly and that's that's kind of what i wrestled with it's sort of like you know not everybody when stuff turns bad not everybody's gonna have a happy ending no yeah so i think that yeah it was important to me to to show that not everybody gets a redemption, not everybody gets a happy ending. And, you know, I guess it was, I guess some people might feel that taking a character like Carly, who was not a particularly likable character anyway, and doing it to her was perhaps the easy way out. But, me, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting that you say that, too, because, like, there's a couple different things. Like, if people think that's the easy way out, one mm-hmm. thing I liked was, you know, like with Mark and Monday. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm the only person that 
felt this way, but you're kind of almost led to believe, like, as you learn more about her, that, you know, like, she's this just good person and you know she kind of is especially compared to adam but then like Mm -hmm. towards the end when they have their showdown and adam you know basically is like oh you know tell them and you know she's the one that made everyone disappear and she's like you know i just took them off the board and right you know she left the devastation but cleaned up the bodies this was a big fight between tony and i um (laughs) tony thought all the way through um, that uh, I needed to offer some explanation of where everybody else had gone. Um, and I thought, I, I subscribe to the theory that J.R.R. Tolkien had about always leaving mountains on the horizon. Don't You don't have to answer every question. You don't have to describe every freaking thing in great detail. You always have to leave some stuff on the horizon. So that people can, you know, look off and see things in the distance. I think it tends to make things a little bit more real. Tony, however, does not subscribe to this. <laughs> and so he viewed it as me being lazy author. And there's probably not a, there probably is a, a modicum of truth to that. Because, you know, I started to think about it. I'm thinking, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't feel like answering this question. It's not relevant. But he was like, people are going to ask. People are going to get to the end of the book and they're going to say, where, you know, where, where have all the rest of the people gone? Where, where, where's all this stuff, you know? And uh, I got to thinking about it and I got to thinking that perhaps I was making Monday too good. You know, she's a part of this machine, too. Um, and, yeah, and she those, needed some flaws. Well, I think that I needed to show that she was perhaps not quite as uh, neutral about humanity. Um, But certainly she was a little bit more neutral than her, you know, happy go lucky character would, would seem to suggest that there were bigger things playing with her uh, in what she did and didn't do than just making sure everybody is, is safe and sound at the end. So, yeah, and uh, you know that was my answer, and I think it 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 did what I wanted to do. I I don't know if uh, everybody accepted that as an answer for where did everybody else go, but to me it 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 answered the question and kind of gave her character a little bit more shading. And it gave it a, yeah, took it to another level because yeah. it was. Uh, um, because of the fact that you start to realize at that point that Monday is part of the machine. Right. That, and that, that what's going on is she's part of that. Right. And, and you know, here you are, you reach, you've reached the end of the book, and you th- may think that Monday is completely on humanity's side, but eh, maybe not completely. You know, she's got, she's got other things going on. So, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a little hint of that. And hopefully that, uh, you know, Tony, when I when I rewrote that and put that in, Tony was just like, whatever, I'm tired of arguing with you. <laughs> so, you know, hopefully it worked. Yeah, I, I think it did, because like you said, it kind of and to like doing that with her offering the shading and kind of <clears throat> giving an answer without, you know giving too much of an answer and like over explaining it that's what i was i didn't want to offer some huge 
over elaborate explanation to this because it's just it I didn't think it was necessary. Yeah, I think it worked organically the way you did it. And like you said, it added more shading to her character so that it prevented it from being so much of a good versus evil type story and more. Yeah, it fit more in line with your, you know, this is a machine type. Right. And that um, that's going to become more uh, important in the sequel to all of this. Yeah, I, you know, if I was going to ask you about that because I know you said you had had an idea. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the one of the favorite things about this was, you, you know, you see what happens at the end and you learn that they're like rebuilding humanity. Mm-hmm. And then the ending line was about, you know, um, Kyle and Jennifer's child. And it says, you know, the light went out and she started crying and then it was drip and the bowl began to fill again, you know, hitting that. Right. It's building. So, yeah, if you want to tell us a little bit more about the sequel, I know Shane, myself and probably everybody else is, uh, you know, eager to hear about it. And I was wondering, you know, if that last line is kind of like what inspired you or if there is a different you know, something else about the writing of this story yeah. that made you want to revisit it. Well, when I, you know, when I was done with it, I thought I was done with it. And and that's probably true for most authors when they finish something, unless they're, unless they're really working on something that they see as a series. I didn't see this as a series. I saw, you know, when I wrote it, I wrote it as one book. Um, and, and it seemed to me when it was done, it was done. That was it. You killed off damn near everybody on the face of the planet. <laughs> um, and you said your piece about fear. Um, I didn't really think there was anything more to be said about it, but I, uh, in the, in the writing of this book over the last five, seven years, I really got hooked on Carl Jung, the, the psychoanalyst and, and, uh, founder of, of, uh, you know, that branch of, of anti-Freudian, uh, psychoanalysis um and he's you know young is this really cool mixture of uh mystic and and psychology and parapsychology and it's just an endlessly fascinating person so i uh he wrote this book called the red book which was a, a, a basically his own journals dream journals um and uh, I had seen a year or two ago that uh, they had uh, the heirs to Young had made this book available. They, they'd actually published it. And uh, I thought, well, I, I want to get I want to get a hold of that book eventually. But it was like, you know, it's like a hundred and twenty five dollar book. Um, so I've been putting it off and putting it off, putting it off. So I got to the point where I wanted to keep reading not necessarily with any story idea in mind, just I wanted to read more. So um, as an early Christmas present, Deb let me buy the book and it's gargantuan. I mean, it's so big. The book doesn't fit on my bookshelves. Um, It's huge. And it's got these, you know, uh, he wrote uh, in German and he inscribed the thing himself in this kind of calligraphic handwriting and he painted these elaborate pictures for it. And so this book is huge and it's got all these color plates and, and then it's got this section where it's all translated and analyzed by, by uh, a scholar. 
And so I've been reading that. And I actually, uh, this goes back about a month or two ago, I went, I had a dream. And I woke up and I thought, well, shit, <laughs> I'm not done yet. I think that there's something else to be done with this. Um, and I, I've been mapping it out. I've spent the last two months kind of mapping it out. And it's shouldering aside other things that I was going to do uh, to where I really think that this is now going to be my next project and where um, the fearing was sort of my look at, at fear. I think this one is going to be my look at evil. Um, Fucking right on John. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah you know, where do you right. go? Where do you go? Um, and I, I, I've got, some I, I've got the skeleton idea of the book. I think I know kind of where I go, I'm going. I think it's going to be three complete, big, separate books. Um, and as I told Tony, I think it's going to have maps in it because, you know, the, the face of the planet has been changed substantially because of all the natural disasters and everything. Um, who doesn't love maps? And he yeah. said the same thing. I've always wanted yeah. to publish a story with maps in it. Um, I've got some titles, but I'm not. Uh, they're not going to mean anything to you at this point, so I don't want to put them out there yet. But uh, as I told Tony, it's it's going to be you know it's going to be a horror book, and at least in the sense that the fearing was a horror book. But it's almost, and I don't I don't mean this the way it's going to sound because people will hear what I'm going to say and they're going to immediately ascribe things to it that don't fit with what I'm doing, but it's almost taking the shape of a dark fantasy, you know, something yeah. huge, uh, multi-book spanning. I'm not talking about a serialized book. And now I'm talking about three completely separate big books, um, maps, uh, voyages, you know, people coming together and going places to do certain things. And, um, and uh, a real, uh, more uh, detailed look into the structure of the machine itself. Uh, so a lot, a lot of different archetypes in the same manner of Monday and Adam. So I'm excited about this book in a way that I haven't been excited about these books uh, I, that I haven't been excited about a, a book in a long time. So, you know, I've been sending Tony these long rambling <laughs> notes about yeah this is what i'm thinking now and i've, I've got this and i want to do this and i've thought about this and so i'm i'm pretty jazzed about it um and i think it'll take the story in a completely new direction which i think is what you want yeah i as soon as you said like kind of what it was going to be about for one thing like exploring evil mm -hmm. and then also the fact like i've always told people like you know friends on twitter and within the community everything about being like a greedy reader and like yeah. I, gra I gravitate towards like these big books right. to, to hear that it's possibly going to be three like big separate books and with the maps the maps <laughs> thing, like that i'm so excited to read it and i'm sure shane is too and well i i'm, I'm intrigued because that's the kind of reader that I am. I love 
those kind of books. I don't read a lot of fantasy anymore. Um, but you know what? I've probably said this before in talking to you guys. One of my favorite authors of all time is Stephen R. Donaldson and the Chronicles of Thomas Covenant um, were formative reads for me. Um, I started reading him in the 70s when he started putting out the, the Chronicles of Thomas Covenant. And man, he published all the way up until just a couple of years ago when he finally wound that the whole series up. And I love that. I love a book that you can fall into. I need to read the follow-up. I, I, ne- I never yeah. did read the last ones, just the They're first really year. good. Yeah, they're really good. Um, uh, but I, you know, I, you know, so, you know, I told Tony that he's like, well, God, don't say dark fantasy because people are going to think there's elves. And I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> no I, I just mean fantasy in that, you know, it's, yeah. No God, fucking yeah. elves were no harmed in the making of this book. <laughs> no fucking elves. But, no, but, but I mean, you know, big and sprawling in a way that yeah. even the fearing wasn't quite as sprawling. And, uh, you know, maps. Maps! <laughs> yeah, and one thing I wanted to ask you about, too, um, and you don't have to get into it if, you know, it's still too early or if it mm-hmm. gives anything away, but... I was just kind of wondering because of the way that the fearing ended, if maybe this set of books would maybe follow a new generation of characters, you know, kind of like maybe Kyle and Jennifer's daughter and, you know, people that grew up in that world. I think that um, as far as I plotted so far, the book is going to open with probably some of the characters from the fearing. But it's going to be set, you know, five or so, five to ten years after all of that happens. So there will be maybe a, a look at a couple of different characters from the original books. But I think mostly the characters are going to be new. And a lot of the characters are going to be these archetypes. Uh, because now, sort of, uh, again, without hopefully giving away too much, um, what has happened in the fearing has sort of uh, broken the machine, for lack of a better term, and it's freeing a lot more of these in. And I will tell you, we were gonna, we had talked about this, uh, we had kind of joked about we were gonna talk about Hellier, um, that that mini that that uh, documentary series that that's on Amazon Prime, that I found out about through Mailerman uh, a couple weeks ago, and I binged it. Uh, Last week, I binged uh, season one on Wednesday and season two on Thursday. <laughs> and, um, you know, one of the things that they talk and, and by the way, if you haven't seen it, fucking see it. It's awesome. Um, everything I love about parapsychology with little to no of that sort of stuff that you get on a lot of parapsychological shows, which is these stumbling douche bros, you know, (laughs) dicking around in a dark house and, you know, that kind of stuff makes me crazy. But Um, yeah, we're all. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say we're all all three of us here are uh, fans. Oh, it's it's really fantastic. And one of the things they talk about in that show is synchronicities because they bring up young a couple times, too. And I'm like, well, this is why, you know, this is, I mean, that, the show, I think season one came out in January, um, yeah. and, and season two just came out uh, about a month or so ago, but this is why I'm, I'm, you know, watching it now, is because 
it ties into kind of the thinking that I've got on this sequel book series. Um, in fact, one of the books that they reference in season two about, um, I can't remember the, the actual name of the book, but uh, I, I actually stopped the documentary and then went back into Amazon and bought the damn book. Was it, the, uh, was it about, the Greenfield book? Uh, it was about the trickster god. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. It's about the trickster god in mythology and how it ties into that trickster, the, the theory of, of a trickster ties into parapsychology. And I'm reading this book, and it is fucking fascinating. Um, and it ties so neatly into where I'm going with this book that I just thought, well, there's a synchronicity, there's like huge synchronicity for me right now that, that, you know, I needed to read this book. I needed to watch the series so I could kind of see what they were doing and then read some of these books that they're referencing. So, um, yeah, I, again, it's just, it's just another thing that's got me all fired up about this, the sequels. So yeah, I, I, I think that if you'd asked me four or five months ago, sequel to the fearing, I'd be like, <laughs> No, not <laughs> but, but now I, I don't see I don't see me doing anything for the next <laughs> at least in the next year and a half, two years, but writing the these books. Um and hopefully that won't take me as long as writing the fearing did. Um yeah, Deb is probably going, Yeah, I <laughs> Yeah, Dad is saying they won't take as long. Believe me. Yeah, guaranteed, buddy. Right. <laughs> but you know, I don't know if I was ever as fired up about the fearing until the very end. What you know, when I was really, you know, humping to get it done. Um, this book is really, it, it's literally, and I, I've had these. This happened to me with short stories and novellas and something where you're. I'm working on something else and I get an idea about something. And I think, okay, well, I'll just take a few notes and jot this down for later. Oh, fuck. No, no, you're going to write this right now. You know, your brain just goes, no, 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 no. All that other shit that you're doing. Nope. You're not doing anything until you get this idea out. So uh, I think that's where I am right now. You know, it's kind of interesting. Um, one thing, like how you said that, you know, if we would have asked you prior that you mm -hmm. would have said, like, no way on a sequel. Right. And that you didn't really plan to have a sequel. And it kind of made me think of uh, when we talked to Josh a couple months ago yeah. about Mallory. Mallory, you know, right. When he wrote Bird Box, he wasn't really planning on that being, you know, a sequel or a series yeah, right. to it. But then, like, after he saw the movie, he got inspired. So I think it's kind of interesting because you planned out the fearing as this big work and you didn't mm -hmm. really plan anything further. But then, like, as you got to the end and you, you know, you spent more time with it and thought about it that, you know, it inspired you to be like, you know, I want to kind of see what else I can do with these characters. Yeah, and I think dream, it's kind of interesting. The dream that I had was almost like my brain saying, yeah, but what if, what if this happened? And what if this happened? And what, and then it's sort of like, okay, well, yeah, I don't, but I don't like that. Maybe this happened. And then you're like, well, fuck now I'm thinking about a sequel. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about a sequel before, but now I am. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm really excited about it. I, I, you know, I have some things on my plate. Um, 
that are not uh, huge. I've got a couple of novellas I've got to write and a couple of short stories I've got to write for uh, invite things that I've uh, agreed to. But I don't really have any long uh, pieces on my desk. You know, Josh and I are starting to go back and forth on the uh, sci-fi thing. So that'll, you know, but that I, I look at that as being an ongoing thing that, you know, I'll write some and send it to him and he'll write some and send it to me. So um, I really do believe that this is, this is going to be the project for a while. I, you know, I attended to uh, start, I started making notes and writing a couple little things on a, a haunted house book that I was calling a cult house. Um, but I think that's probably going to have to take a back seat for a while. So, um, but that's, yeah, I not, no pressure, but I hope so. <laughs> I'd really like to see the, the next, the fearing sequel happen, especially knowing now something of what it is. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, just like I think that horror has something to say about fear, obviously, I think horror has a lot to say about evil, the nature of evil and, and, uh, you know, how it arises and what it does to people and how people get sucked into it. And, you know, how do you pull yourself out of it once you've, you know, kind of dipped your toe into it? You know, I think that that's a big, uh, it's a big part of what makes horror horror. And I don't know that, uh, that, it's ever been dealt with the way that I'm thinking of dealing with it. Just as I don't think that fear was dealt with the way that I dealt with it in the fearing, not that I'm some, you know, fucking awesome, you know, be all end all writer. But I, I do think that I managed to do something a little different with, um, with what I was working with in the fearing. So hopefully I can, uh, bring that into the sequel. Okay. So I've got a working title for the first book. It's, Okay, so I'm thinking this is going to be a series of three books. The first one, and again, this title is probably not going to be, uh, it's probably not going to mean a whole lot to anybody right now, but it may be able to get you, if you look into what the first word is, it may get you thinking about where I might be going with it. it I'm thinking about calling the first one, at least the working title for the first one, is going to be The Knife and the Paladin. And Knive is N, like in Nancy, I-T-H-E, Knive. <laughs> and it's a great archaic word. So Google search it, you'll see what it means. And and I think when you contrast that with the image of the paladin, you might see where I'm starting to go with this. Uh, I, got, I already kind of feel a little bit of those archetypes you were talking exactly. about. Exactly. there. Exactly. You know, speaking so, of that, yeah. Sorry, you just made <clears throat> no. me think of it. I read a book in college um, by God. It's been so many years, and I'm so fucking old. Um, <laughs> Not as I old think, as me. I think it's uh, Natalie Goldberg, uh-huh. but it was, it was about archetypes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always been fascinated by the concept, and I've always wondered why there wasn't more use of that in speculative fiction, you know, except as, you know, thematically, but not obviously. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, when I had this idea for the fearing years and years ago, and I got, I started to think about it, I'm thinking this is such a, uh, you know, not that I'm patting myself on the back, but I'm like, you know, I was thinking, 
I'm not a good enough writer to have thought about this all on my own. There has to be literature with with these kind of characters in it. And really, outside of mythological kind of stuff, there really isn't that I've read. I mean, maybe there is, but I, you know, I've done a lot of reading in this subject over the last decade. And, uh, you know, I haven't found anything. So, um, and, you know, whereas I uh, stuck my toe in the water with that, in the fearing, you know, with these sequels, it's really going to be jumping in with both, you know, both feet. So, um, so yeah, uh, it should be fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like a really great project. And like Shane said, you know, as much as we look forward to the other stuff you were working on, we definitely can't wait for you to jump in on that because it sounds really cool and the whole idea of the archetype like Shane was talking about earlier it's something that you know you haven't really seen and you know for people that read a ton of horror it's always cool to find something that's a little bit off the beaten path so to speak well that's what a uh, you know when I when I started watching Hellier that's really what caught me um, like a fish hook, really, is that how deeply entwined uh, Jung and his theories, especially with synchronicity and archetypes and stuff, is is tied into parapsychology and also into kind of the baseline that kind of makes up horror. That is kind of the the DNA of horror. So, um, so yeah, my my. Uh, my desire is, like I said, you know, just touching on a little in the fury, but really it's going to be a, you know, full body bear hug in these, you know, in these sequels. So it, it, and it does, you know, again, just as fear gave me a big palette to paint on, I think evil is, is another biggie that uh, allows me a lot of latitude and, and, what I what I want to explore in these. So, yeah, I'm very excited. I'm very excited about it. Hopefully, I'll be able to do it justice and get it out there in less than five to seven years. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let Deb hear that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's the other thing that kind of surprised me when you had first mentioned the sequel. Is like I knew how how long it took for you to do the fearing. So I thought you would maybe kind of take a break from trying to do that but it's also kind of interesting like i've only written a few things here and there but i always like hearing from writers you know when that idea hits that it kind of Mm -hmm. like consumes you like that always interests me like because i know the last time we talked and you know i'm sure you're probably still working on those we talked about a lot of the upcoming stuff you had But it's always interesting to hear that, like, when that one idea hits, that it kind of just, you know, takes over, like you're compelled to do it. Yeah, I've always been really, uh, I've I've always listened to myself in in terms of what to write, what I what I need to be working on. If if something bugs me, you know, incessantly, if I'm thinking about it a lot, if I'm dreaming about it, then it's you know that you you can't get a more clearer message from your your subconscious that you know okay stop and do this um and that's always 
served me well um, in my writing career about what to work on next. Um, and, you know, and I joke about it, but I don't think, you know, if I look at uh, these sequels to The Fearing as three separate independent books that are tied together, um, but each one is just a big book, a big novel, I, I don't think it'll take me as long as it did to write The Fearing. You know, there was all sorts of other stuff going on in my life during where The Fearing was coming up, and um, I hadn't, you know, I think if I'm going to be true and to to one of the big reasons is I at that point that I started writing the fearing, I didn't have the kind of discipline that I have now to sit down and make myself write stuff when sometimes you don't feel like it or, you know, something is not gelling uh, perfectly the way that you want it to. And you just push back and say, well, I'll just leave it alone for a day or two. Well, I, I don't write that way anymore. I just sit myself down and write. And, you know, if I have to tear up uh, the next morning what I wrote the day before, eh, okay. But, you know, I, I tend to make myself, I, I tend to hold myself a little bit more accountable for for the writing stuff. So I don't think it'll take that long. It, it You know, it may take me about a year to finish this. Uh, and then, you know, it's got to work through uh, you know, getting it edited and sold and, and that kind of stuff. So it may be, you know, two years before something comes out, but I don't think it'll be that long. I don't think it'll be like five years. I'm speculating that the clinking noise is ice in your whiskey. Yes. It's the freezer stones that came with my set. Oh, nice. <laughs> I drank my first, uh, I finished my first glass, and I'm trying to decide if I want another one. Uh, the answer to that is always yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so have you guys watched Hellier? Uh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's funny you mention that because, like, I, uh, I watched season one, I want to say, this past summer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I... I, you know, I was, I binge watched the whole first season. I think the first season was only like five episodes. Yeah, it was only five episodes, right. And, you know, I was like tweeting about it and people were like liking it and stuff, but it kind of just, it didn't seem like as many people were Mm -hmm. into it. But with the second season, it seemed like it just kind of took off. And like, I did, to be honest, I, didn't know they were working on a second season it was only like kind of like when you heard about it when i saw uh josh tweeting about it right i was like he was like oh yeah you know i'm watching hellier and i kind of like looked it up and then i was like oh shit there's a second season (laughs) and uh, that's and then like when i heard you guys talking about it that's when i kind of got you know i was like i gotta watch this and yeah i watched it and like, I think I broke, I watched like the first two. Right. And then from there, I was off on Friday. So I, I just watched the rest. <laughs> well, I, Deb was out of town last week on Wednesday and Thursday. So I normally, you know, keep those days when she's out of town to watch that kind of stuff. She, she won't watch it. <laughs> so I watched enough of it on Wednesday night. I think I watched the whole first season and maybe two or three episodes of the second 
and then had myself so thoroughly worked up by the time I went to bed <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that I didn't sleep well that night. And then she got home uh, the next day. Uh, well, she got home late, late that night, actually on Wednesday night. And uh, I watched the rest of season two on uh, Thursday, sitting in my office with the door closed so she wouldn't know I was just in here, you know, watching videos. Yeah, you got to see you got you got to season four, um, that first day. Uh huh. I mean episode four. Yeah, episode of season four. two. Yeah. I know. I know that because you called me a fucker. Oh, that's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is right. You fucker. Because <laughs> I I knew I was gonna have to go to bed, and I thought, oh, I'm so worked up now that I'm gonna listen to every fucking creak and pop that the house makes as I'm laying there. In bed with my dogs. <laughs> hey, here's a quick here's yeah. a question for you guys. Uh -huh. um, does does the god helmets kind of seem like inviting the abyss to stare back? Well, I think the whole part of of the whole thing about about well, at least one of the big threads in that is, you know, if you want to start yanking on that chain eventually something's going to yank back that it notices you and you really want it noticing you yeah yeah that, and that's yeah. you're right that they do kind of touch i was watching it fun fact i sat down last night thinking i'm just going to watch two episodes and uh <laughs> right. and and i i imbibed in a little bit of smokable product and <laughs> that had to have made you even more paranoid oh well, it's but not really because it was hash <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it just mellows me out. Right. So, but it had the effect of I was just absolutely mesmerized, uh -huh. and I watched I watched two through seven in a sitting. So I've still got the last three, but um, it just it fascinates me now that you mentioned that that they have been kind of following <laughs> that theme because I, yeah. I kept thinking, uh, it just seems a lot like gazing into the abyss. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah. I don't I don't know what your personal answer to that question is, but you know, if if uh, yanking those kind of strings gets something like that to notice me, the oh, fuck that. No, I, I don't want to be noticed. <laughs> don't know. No, it's it's funny. I I told Shane like I didn't mention it until I knew he was well enough into it, mm -hmm. but like that whole Estes method and everything. Right. Like, I don't know what it is because when you think about it throughout Hellier, like they investigate some weird stuff, Yeah. but it's not like, like you don't, it's not one of those shows. And that's why I appreciate it where they try and like fudge, like, Oh, you know, did you see that? Right. Like, exactly. Exactly. But like, it, it scared the, like the Estes method, something about it just creeps me the fuck right. out. And like, you know, the whole second season, they would have flashbacks to it. And then the thing with the God helmet, like I told Shane, yeah. like I would go downstairs in the middle of the night to, you know, <laughs> grab something or whatever. And I'm like, I had to turn all the fucking lights on because I'm like, <laughs> and I don't, you know, get as scared as much anymore. But it's funny. You, it's funny you mentioned that about, you know, like yanking on that chain, like, right, even though it's not really the same, like. When I was younger, like I was way, I like I'm still interested in it, but I was like fanatical about that stuff, uh -huh. and I and I'm talking like 
I don't know why I was like a weird ass kid, but <laughs> I, like from the time I was like seven to maybe you're like still a weird fucker. <laughs> yeah, we'll that is that true. <laughs> yeah, but from the time I was like seven to twelve, like I was checking out all kinds of weird, like you know, paranormal parapsychology oh, yeah. books yeah. from the library, like the Keel books and all that. Oh yeah, and exactly. It's it's funny. It's like the more I would read about that stuff, like, mm-hmm. like it's kind of like the feeling they had, but not really. Like, you, like I would read this stuff and I would get so interested in it, but I'd get so mm-hmm. fucking terrified because, like, you know, you would just notice like weird shit or whatever. But I don't. Yeah, it was... I tend to be completely credulous that you know there is a. a, a... A, a strain of skepticism that runs through me, but I like to believe in a world where this kind of stuff can happen. Exactly. But I do believe, I do strongly believe that there is some truth to this whole looking into the abyss and having it look back and notice you that, that speaks to my belief that there's something just so unfathomably huge and deep and complex about the world that we live in. And we only see such a small slice of shit that when you're exposed to the bigger stuff, it's just it's frightening because it's more than it's more than you thought. It's more than you could even comprehend. Yeah. And I don't want to spoil anything for Shane because he, mm-hmm. he has the <clears throat> last couple. But I will just mention if you don't and I don't know if maybe it's like the recent trend that makes me do this, mm-hmm. but like. I didn't cut off after the credits. There is like a little post credit right, scene right. in that final second right. season. I don't know if you saw it or not, but yeah, I did. Yes. Okay. Um, See what? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> you are right, Shane. The bis got your tongue, Shane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I thought John was going to speak, so I was like, oh, fuck, I'm talking over him again. <laughs> no, go ahead, man. Um, what makes really impresses me so much about the series is I am I'm the ultimate skeptic. I'm the guy that I'm the guy that people like Greg and Dana Newkirk hate. Right. Because, you know, I'll question every every fucking sure. thing you put in my face. But this show makes me strongly question my disbelief in <laughs> a lot of things you know i was talking about to rich about that very thing earlier that yeah you know normally i go yeah that's fun to watch it's all bullshit and with this one it's like yeah that's fun to watch and i couldn't tell you yeah i mean <laughs> you know i i stopped watching these kind of shows a while back because again it's you know these groups of people stumbling around a dark house doing nothing and having nothing occur to them. Um, yeah. but it's all this, you know, did you hear that? Or what was that? Or, you know, all that kind of stuff. But there were a few times during the course of these, what is it? Uh, 15 episodes in the two seasons. Yeah. There were, there were a few times where I just rolled my eyes. I was like, Oh, whatever. But for, for that many hours uh, of this series, it wasn't a whole lot of times that I rolled my eyes. Most of the time it was like, Holy fuck! This, I'm scared to death. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm fucking wigged out. 
Yeah, because they're not, I mean, it's not like, like you say, like, um, it's not like, you know, that one time when Josh Gates transported from one spot in the dark to another spot and <laughs> nobody, right. nobody saw nobody it knew. we're supposed to believe it. Right. <laughs> and now I'm going to transform back to the original spot that I was in. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever. You know, it's funny, like those shows I never was really interested in, but yeah. I think it's kind of cool. You guys said you kind of have like the skeptical side. Mm -hmm. I'm basically like the Fox molder of this type of stuff <laughs> where like, <laughs> like I want to believe in this stuff so uh -huh. bad. Like I don't buy into everything whole hot, yeah, but I, yeah. I want I want that kind of stuff to right. be for real. But I always tell people that I, you know. The stuff, you know, Bigfoot and Loch Ness Monster and UFOs. Look, I don't know that I believe all of it, but I love to believe in a world where this stuff can happen because that just yeah. makes it more interesting. Yeah, and, like, the thing with Hellier that I really like is you can tell that, you know, whether or not people watch this and, you know, believe the stuff that they portray in the show – you could tell that they put a lot of work into it, you know, like interviewing people and mm -hmm. doing all that stuff. So it's not like, and, you know, sorry to anyone who likes those shows. I'm like, I used to watch them, but like ghost hunters or whatever, yes. where it's all kind of the same. And like, yeah, they actually go out there, but really it's kind of like the same every episode. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Whereas really like, like, I don't think I've watched most, you know, many of those episodes where they actually did or encountered anything there, I went, hmm, that's interesting. No, and yeah. it's kind of like, kind of like uh, the Newkirks call themselves paranormal researchers, mm -hmm. and, yeah. and, and that's what they do. They actually fucking research shit, you know, right. not, you know not just whisper in the dark. Well, uh, I thought it was really well done. I can't, uh, can't wait for them to... Uh, Get to season three and yeah. see where they're going to go with it. Now I'm sitting there going, okay, well, you guys have to shut up because I'm going to go watch the other three. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you definitely should, Shane. But, yeah, it's – there's a lot of – the one thing that I like about this show is that it's kind of, like, open-ended. Right. Like, if, if I were to be lucky enough to talk to them, I'd be like, you know – I'm sure when they maybe when they set out to do Hellier, like it was five episodes, maybe they thought it was just going to be a mini series. I think they did. I think I saw something with uh, the one guy, uh, I can't, his name escapes me, um, that said that, you know, that when they did the first season, they never thought it would have this kind of, you know, they thought it was just going to be that and done and then they're yeah. off to something else. But uh, when it started to hit and they realized, Oh, wow, we really, you know, we really tapped a vein here. Um, probably need to continue this. Uh, and I'm glad they did because the second season is better than the first. Oh, yeah. Kudos yeah. kudos to the filmmaker, definitely. I'm drawing a blank on his name, but he did a brilliant job with it. Oh, yeah. They, they, they did a, a great job, not just with, you know, how they've chosen to deal with all this stuff. But, yeah, the cinematography, the music is fucking creepy as hell. Yeah, um, I, I think the soundtrack is on, uh, like, uh, Bandcamp. You can stream it. Yeah, I may have to be putting that on when I write. 
because uh, that's some creepy shit. <laughs> yeah, I was actually listening to it last night. Were you? Rich, is, Rich is correct. It's on Bandcamp. Okay. But yeah, I think it's I think it's great, and and you know if people listening haven't uh, haven't given it a chance, it's it's definitely worth uh, worth the time. Yeah, I definitely like. I wasn't planning on watching as many as I did the other day, <laughs> but like like I get sucked into that stuff. Because oh, me I too. Yeah. Deb was like, been, well, if you the, like it so much, maybe we should watch it together. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 you won't like it. You will yeah. not like this. <laughs> no, 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 no. So she's like, oh, okay, well, if you don't think I like it. And I'm like, yeah, no, nah, I don't. This is not your cup of tea at all. Okay, so one more one more question for you guys on this subject, and sure. then, we, then we'll let you get back to your world, John. Okay. Um, I wish we sleep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, when it comes to synchronicities, mm-hmm. when someone gets you thinking about synchronicities and the, and the implications thereof, um, does it seem to you that you don't even have to look for them and you just start seeing them? You know, you my, my belief in, in reading uh, as much as I have of Jung and and. You know, and and not to say that I'm some, you know, you know, master's level, uh, you know, student of of young. Um, But, you know, I think my uh, in in my reading of him and then my own experience with stuff is that I think synchronicities happen a lot more often in people's life than they might think. Simply because I think most people blow off stuff as coincidences. And in my experience, coincidences are not usually purely coincidences. That, that, and maybe it's the human propensity to read stuff into you know, things and, and to impose a system, an order, uh, a system of order on chaos that where it really doesn't actually exist in the same way that we tend to, uh, see faces in, you know, chaotic patterns when, when they don't exist. But I really do believe that if you, if people calm down about stuff and, 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 and look at things that have happened in their lives, I think, um, if they're being honest, I think they probably see a lot more things that have happened to them during their life that they've dismissed as coincident uh, that that isn't that aren't. Um, I know that, you know, now that I've got a little bit more, you know, <laughs> distance uh, between my earlier life and, and today, I can see plenty of of occurrences where I thought at the time it was just a weird coincidence, but you know, I think there's, there's something bigger at work in, in people's lives. And, you know, if people want to look at that as God or, uh, you know, a particular God or, um, uh, the workings of a, a, a huge system or some hierarchical, you know, natural functioning, you know, whatever, whatever gets you through the, the night. But, I do think synchronicities play a huge, huger role in our lives than than we sometimes let on. Yeah, you just don't really think about it. But when you like you say, and I've 
you know, lived damn near as long as you, you old fucker. <laughs> um, Almost. And the same thing, you start looking back and thinking about things, and um, there's something to be said for synchronicity versus versus right. uh, coincidence. Um, well, you know, and I, I, I go, uh, you know, just watching the series when I did, you know, I didn't it didn't register me on this t- uh, to watch this when it first came out in January. For some reason, uh, within the last week, I decided, ah, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that a watch. And and it hit me at a time when I was probably more open to exploring these ideas further in, in, in a book form, in a, something that would, you know, come out as the sequel to The Fearing. Whereas if you know, I, you know, watched the stuff eight months ago, nine months ago, a year ago, whatever, I might, it might not have had the same impact on me it might not have pushed me in this direction uh quite as forcefully so you know i think there's something to be said uh for that uh i, I don't tend to be real you know horribly spiritual or horribly fuzzy wuzzy metaphysical about shit but i do think that that there's a bigger picture than uh than the stuff that we can take in through our senses and and you know i think uh, there are bigger things afoot in people's lives than we sometimes give credit to. Uh, so I try to be open about it more, more open about it these days than, than simply dismissing things as coincidental. And speaking of one more synchronicity, then I'll let Rich say whatever he has to say here. Um, <laughs> whatever you have to say, Rich, God damn. I, uh, I'm trying my hardest not to laugh my ass off right now. (laughs) Sorry, it's the whiskey. Yeah. Um, No, it's just you, John. (laughs) That's me and the whiskey. So the um, interesting synchronicity is I don't ever watch shows like these. Someone says, oh, I really like X Uh and X Paranormal Research, and I'm already immediately, yeah, fuck that show. Right. And But... Josh Mailerman went on to Twitter and started mm-hmm. raving about it. Yeah. And he's someone that um, I, and I know you and many others, trust immensely when it becomes comes to the quality of a creation. Um, so that, in its way, was a synchronicity with me, too, because I would have never watched that fucking show if it wasn't for that tweet. And that, that's what got me, is Josh you know, tweeting about it, and I thought, well, if he, if you know, if he's digging this thing and it's scaring him, now nah, I'll give it a listen. I, you know, I went into it thinking, eh, it's probably going to be a bunch of bullshit that I'll watch one or two episodes and go, that's it. But no, well, it didn't, didn't do that at all. Nah, that's what I expected too. Yep. Okay, now, Rich, what do you want to say? Yeah, whatever the fuck you have to say. <laughs> no, it's kind of funny real quick to it's not related to hellier but um i can't remember if i asked you this or not but mm-hmm. going back to earth and amber like towards the end there there's some crazy like the cosmic horror thing like with the <laughs> cephalopod creature yeah and i was wondering if that was kind of like the impetus for you wanting to do those cosmic horror novellas you know i i 
I did that in the fearing. And, he, and I've written a couple of cosmic horror things uh, in the past. But, you know, you know from talking to me that I always tend to kind of poo-poo that stuff. I'm not a huge fan of Lovecraft. I find him to be kind of arid and humorless, and he doesn't do a lot for me. But, that you know, the idea that he created, the, uh, the mythos that he kind of spearheaded, uh, I've gotten more and more kind of into as time goes by. And I find myself when I'm thinking of story ideas, um, drifting in that direction. And when I, I don't know if you've read, have you gotten ARCs of lullabies for suffering from Mark Matthews? Yeah. I'm going to be starting that, uh, pretty soon. Well, when I, uh, when he invited me into that, I thought, you, you know, I was in the first one and, you know, maybe you should open it up to somebody other than me. And I frankly don't know that I have an idea, Mark, because I don't, you know, other than eating, I don't really have, I'm not, I don't tend to be an addictive personality and I don't really have a lot of that in my life that I can draw on. Um, and he's like, well, uh, you know, we'll leave it open. And if you come up with something, that's great. And if you don't, that's okay. I said, okay. So I put it aside and then I started to have this idea and I'm thinking, you know, when I had the idea, I was thinking, I'm surprised that I've got the idea. And then Son of a bitch! It turns into a cosmic horror thing, um, but I, you know, again, I've I've gotten to the point now where I'm, you know, it's like, okay, whatever. If this is the way that that the story is going to come to me, then I'm not going to fight it. Um, and and I guess for all of my arguing about it, there are certain things that appeal to me about it, um, and there are certain things that don't. But there are certain things that appeal to me about it, and. You know, when I started to go off in that direction, I started to think, you know, maybe I do have something to say in this milieu. Um, you probably know I put it out there um, on Twitter just to see if anybody would be interested. And I got a lot of interest and I think I've got a publisher. I don't want to jump the gun here, but I think I've I've worked it out with a publisher and I think it's. I'm going to do a, a collection of four novellas that are uh, all cosmic horror. So that's what you get for bad-mouthing it for years and years and years. <laughs> Eventually, you find yourself writing a whole collection of stories about cosmic horror. <clears throat> and I think it's kind of – it's easy to – easier for me, anyway, to identify with Lovecraft and appreciate Lovecraft from a standpoint of ideas of create what he created and and the influence that has because yeah. i mean i i fucking hate his writing i'll be blunt about that well the, and, the guy bores yeah. me to tears it's horrible and and yeah. the one story that i do like from lovecraft is um is uh at the mountains of madness which is basically just a worse retelling of the same story that poe did with the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket, which I think is a uh, much greater, much superior story. Um, but I, you know, I, I think that there are aspects of that stuff that I really like, you know, one of the things I, that really put me off, if I have to say about, uh, that kind of writing, that, that kind of cosmic horror stuff, and people are going to start throwing stones at me, I'm sure, but <laughs> I hated revival. I, the King's book, Revival, I loathe it. 
I, you're the first. You're the first person <laughs> other than me that I've heard say that. I absolutely gut <laughs> level hate that book. I um, I I DNF'd that fucking book. I did. I finished. I, I got three quarters of the way through and put it down, and I was well, pissed. You wouldn't have liked the end. Um, I hated it. I hated every fucking word on the page. I really did. I um, I share I shared that sentiment. And the ending was so um, bleak. It was so needlessly bleak. It was the bleakest fucking thing outside of a Russian novel I've ever read. Um, uh, that's pretty fucking bleak. Yeah. <laughs> and it just did not appeal to me on any level. Um, and I think that <laughs> a lot of how I felt about cosmic horror, um, you know, for good or ill, after I read that book. Um, uh, yeah, I just oh, just can't stand that book. You know, and I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a King fan. I don't like all his books, but I like... I would I would say the majority of his books I like, um, but man I just gut level hate that book. <laughs> now, now you guys make me want to read that next because I have it, you but have I it? Ha I haven't read it yet. Uh huh. <laughs> and now I'm kind of curious. Well, because most you people most people love the hell out of it though. John is literally the first person I've heard who agrees with me about that book. Um, yeah. So you never know. You might you might dive into it and just go, "What the fuck is wrong with those guys?" I'll tell you I how badly I hate it. I I bought it. <laughs> Most of King's books I buy as hardbacks. I like I you know yeah. authors that I really like. I want the hardcover, and I didn't. I bought it as a Kindle, and I am so fucking glad I didn't buy that book <laughs> as a hardback because I think I have to burn it. <laughs> you know, so well, there you go. It's funny because I don't. I think I'll. Pro I I would probably agree with you guys because it's kind of weird in that I like a lot of King's traditional stuff, but I find that like if I were to put down like my favorite King books, if I were to make a list, mm -hmm. at the very top it would be books that don't really have any overt horror elements. Like my favorite king book of all time is probably joyland well interesting i haven't read that oh it's it's great like it has it without spoiling it it has kind of like touch tones of the supernatural but right it was published by a uh, hard case crime so it's more of like a crime story right. and then like uh 11 mm -hmm. that was another one that was like one of my favorites yeah i like that book so but, I I gotta check out revival though because yeah. you guys motherfucking revival <laughs> you guys have some extreme hatred and like I'm one of those people like especially when people talk about horror movies and they're like oh this movie's fucking terrible right. like there's like some sick part of me that's like well now I have to see well it, yeah so exactly. Because well, and see, there's a part of me who's that's sitting here now that we're talking about that fucking book wanting to go buy it so I can burn it. <laughs> I don't tend to be I don't tend to be that negative about books. If I really love a book, I I tend to be you yeah, know really I, I over the top. But negative wise, I don't tend to be that. You know, a lot of books I don't like. I'm just like, eh, I didn't like that. But wow, I'd active hate for that book. 
Hey, Shane, maybe we can use this part of the show to try and get King on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that'd be like, John who? Hates my book? Yeah, who exactly. I saw him last night. Last night, uh, Joe, Joe Lansdale said, uh, uh-huh. I, I don't I have never heard personally that Stephen King reads my stories. And Stephen King himself answered back, I do read your stories, and and entertainment always ensues. And I'm like, fuck, what a bucket list item that is. Yeah, that just goes to show you that somebody as big as Joe Lansdale can have that kind of experience, too, with another author where they, you know, they're like, yeah, he's he's a good guy, and I read him, too. Wow. So maybe I maybe you shouldn't play this as a as a hook to get King. <laughs> I hate to have King think my you know his first thought about John F. D. Taft being what a fuckhead. Yeah, uh, all our you mean that guy who fucking hated on <laughs> revival? Yeah, fuck him. That piece of shit. I've got a hit out on him. <laughs> Although I I, th- I think he might go after Shane first because <laughs> Shane Shane said he wanted to buy it specifically to set it on fire, <laughs> whereas you already owned it. So. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, but you know, I I've got the ideas. Uh, uh, I've got the four stories pretty much plotted out for. That cosmic horror collection. I've got a, I've got titles. I've got a name of the collection. Um, all the stars die one by one. Um, so I'm pretty much, you know, all I've got to do now is, you know, finish them, and hopefully uh, the publisher that I'm, I'm talking to is gonna, you know, will be able to strike a deal here. Um, and I'm excited about that. I think the four stories that I've got going, I'm really, I'm really excited about. They're all, uh, you know, enough me to be you know readily identifiable as my stuff but i think different than than most of the stuff that that people have read from me and i think that when you read my story in uh lullabies for suffering i think you'll see that's you know a little bit a different direction for me yeah i think i'm gonna be starting that one uh probably this week sometime it's a great book. He he really did a great job with it. Yeah, when I when I read the first one, like I was blown away by it because like all of the stories were great, but mm-hmm. just like just like the concept. Yeah. And then uh like my fi- the one thing that sticks with me like I remember a lot of the stories vividly, mm-hmm. but the thing that sticks out the most to me and we we talked about this with Max yeah, oh, Max's story. Yes, di- <laughs> we call them the quote-unquote dick spiders. Not <laughs> stick <laughs> When I like, I still remember that vividly. Like when I read that, I was like, "Dude, what the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty, whew, that was over the top. And it was funny because I think that I think that was the first time I had read anything by him. And oh, you know, I've now since read more yeah, of yeah. stuff and like it, but that well, was the one that that was the one that got me. That was a good book, but I, I really do believe that uh, this is probably a, a stronger book. I just think that having fewer authors and giving them the elbow room to write longer stories um, yeah. really paid off for him. And and you know. To have people like Keelan and 
and Caroline Kepneys and Gabino and Mercedes and, you know, Mark. Yeah, yeah some, <laughs> I mean, some rock star names, group. yeah. Yeah, really strong group of people. So I'm really glad that I was able to come up with something uh, to stick in there. So, but yeah. Um, if, if you ever need to, if you ever need to research addiction again, just call me, John. I'm a fucking encyclopedia. <laughs> <laughs> You're on. <laughs> you are on my friend <laughs> I have had my share of problems in my lifetime all behind me <laughs> well, that's good <laughs> that is good <clears throat> so um, I guess then we'll go ahead and wind this up and what are we what are we going to talk to you about next time John hell I think that uh, <laughs> probably should give it another six months at least um, but yeah, I, you know, like I said, I've got some, uh, stuff in anthologies that are coming out and I think probably in the next couple of months, I'll be able to talk a little bit more about he left and what Tony's plans are for that. And, you know, as I've, I've said, you guys are probably aware that that's a, a much different book than the fearing because what I, you know, when I was done with the fearing and I was looking for another project to start, I, I wanted something, uh, a little bit more intimate and shorter and more concise. And so this was kind of my answer to that. And it's a, you know, completely different kind of book than the fearing is, um, coming of age, you know, it's got horror elements. I, I think it's going to appeal to people. If you like coming of age stories, I think you'll like it. That's yeah. I was going to say that's something that I have actually wanted to see from you for a long time. Well, it's, you know, it's, again, just as I was going to explore, you know, the next novel is going to be my exploration of the haunted house. This one is sort of my, my YA book. So I'm, you know, I'm satisfied with it. Once I make my way through Tony's copious notes and <laughs> uh, shoot out another draft to him, um, I'm sure then we'll start talking about when he wants to release it and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'll be able to talk about that and some of the other stuff that I've got uh going on and then hopefully the next time we talk we'll be able to have a clearer picture of this thing that josh and i are working on and where that's likely to go that yeah that's exciting news too so uh i'm definitely definitely keeping my eye on you guys yeah and you know we've got another big project that josh and i have been uh, working on secretly for a while that is seeming like it's starting to come to fruition um, that is, uh, uh, I think potentially big, big, big. So, uh, uh, hopefully we'll be able to be at a point where we can talk about that more too. So, you know, who knows, maybe the next time we talk, we talk to me and Josh together. Uh, that's what that yeah. we have, we have long wanted to do that, get a couple of authors together like that. And that'd be, that'd be fantastic. I think that'd be great. So now yeah. they, now, yeah, now that you said it, I'm going to start bugging you guys there you on a regular basis. <laughs> well, Every week. When people, uh, you know, are not as sick of listening to me jabber on, when, when they've had a couple of months without listening to me, uh, <laughs> maybe they'll be ready for that. So that'll be good. Sorry, I was ignoring you guys and talking to my wife. <laughs> you know what your priorities are. Absolutely. <laughs> She's probably thinking, what the fuck are you doing in there? Stop talking. 
No, I yeah. think I think she's probably used to it. Uh, even though I only do it through, uh, you know, like texting. Like I pretty much talk to Shane like all the time. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. I, you know, I think what you guys are doing is is great. I, I think that uh, in the same way that I believe that that we're kind of in a golden age of horror with all of the the great uh, authors that are out right now, and especially in the indie press. I think the, the the other side of that coin, the review side of that coin, and the the community building people that are out there not right now, like you and and Shane and and Sadie and you know all those people, Gavin with Kendall Reviews. <coughs> Excuse me. I think that is really helping everything move along and uh, giving hope to a lot of people. Uh, authors out there like me who you know don't have a don't have a big publisher right now and you know you're hoping to get your books into as many hands as possible so I salute you and thank you yeah thanks um, and that's a goal of ours is to get the you know it's not uh, authors who are our friends but authors whose work we love we want to see them create mm-hmm. more of that work and they will and the best way to ensure that is to see them be successful right you know, um, get that gets your work as much in front of as many eyeballs as you possibly yeah. can. And so, plus, yeah, we and we serve the readers, so it's kind of incidental. But yeah, um, it's another pleasure of ours is letting them know what the best reading materials are out there. Well, and, according and, to know, us, I've buttered Tony up enough in these interviews, but you know what the stuff, the kind of stuff that you guys do. And and how much of a role you've played in my career, such as it is, um, is fundamental. I mean, uh, the 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 uh, you know frequency, uh, the increase in my frequency bandwidth um, from from you guys and from people like Sadie uh, is you know is absolutely necessary to have these days to, to be able to do what I do. So, um, yeah, you're, you're the voice out in the wilderness and, and uh, it's deeply appreciated. And you know, that it's not just me who appreciates that, you know, it's, you got a list of a hundred authors long who, you know, appreciate what you guys do. So. Yeah. And I, authors have, largely been humble and kind and um it's you know um people have (coughs) you say it best i think but people have approached us multiple times multiple authors have and said much the same thing and it's it's greatly appreciated that people recognize us well and it's nice that i i love to hear that i love to see that with other authors you know you hate this you know every once in a while when something crops up uh, in my Twitter feed about some asshole author that is being an asshole. Um, and you just think, God damn it. What are you going to go and piss in the pool for? The rest of us are all trying to work here and we got a good thing going. We don't need you coming along and, and being a jackass. Um, yeah. And I, I get in a lot of trouble in those situations because someone will tweet out something and I, and I'll jump, I'll jump right in their fucking face. Well, you know? <laughs> this 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 theory that you know I've wrote the the book that is the great American novel and how dare you not recognize it or how dare you you know uh, point out some things that may not be 
you know, the best in the book. Um, you know, I, I, I don't understand that. And, you know, yeah, being reviewed is difficult. Um, it's part of the game though. Part of the game. Yeah. And if you're not, if you, if you're that thin skinned, either don't read the right. reviews or, or choose a write. different profession. Yeah, exactly. It's the same thing I always used to, you know, tell people about, you know, being rejected. Man, if you're going to have a problem being rejected, this is not what you want to go into, you know. And it, yeah, and if you're going to be any kind of artist, there are always going to be people who think you suck. Absolutely. I think I think Beyonce sucks. Yeah, well, you know? everybody. I mean, you know? Shane, Shane, she has a massive following. They'll yeah. probably hear this, and we're gonna be fucked. <laughs> oh, let's, okay, we'll go back. <laughs> that, that was a yeah. We will edit that part out. <laughs> I've heard horror stories, Shane. Wow. We'll be we'll be screwed. <laughs> well, we don't want that. Okay, so. I meant I meant for example, if I didn't like Beyonce. <laughs> right, right. For example. That's better. On an unrelated subject, if I hated Beyonce, um, that's that's how extreme her fans are. Like I don't follow Beyonce or anything, but I know that her fans have caused people problems. Wow. <laughs> well, but yeah, you're right. You know, you you if you're a creative type and you do something creative, there's always going to be somebody in the bushes going, "I hate that fucking shit." <laughs> you're a terrible writer. You're a terrible artist for having produced that. Well, without exception, yeah. Yeah. So. You know, you just, that's something that's part of the game and you just got to get used to it. So, yep. whatever. But you guys are doing a great job. Well, thank Thanks, you, sir. John. And you are doing a great job, too. And, uh, you know, my usual warning, keep fucking doing it or else. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we have got to come up with some way for us all to get together face to face. That's, that's yeah. got to happen. It definitely Absolutely. does. Um, you know, Taff Lodge is always always open and ready to receive guests so uh, uh fantastic we'll make it happen someday somehow that sounds great guys all right i'm gonna bug out and go uh cook for my wife <laughs> yes yeah, right. i'm gonna bug out and go to bed all right brother <laughs> have a good one okay yeah. love you both love you too john you, peace see, see ya, ya. Thank you.